I was on a tour with Tamar Braxton and it was probably the worst tour of my life. I remember calling my best friend and I was just like, I just want to drive off the cliff. Yeah. I'm enjoying the hell out of my life and I'm continuing to work hard, but I'm, I don't know what this is, if that makes sense. going to take a quick message from our sponsors and we'll be right back. This episode of Suave Sessions is being brought to you by Life Matters with Mario Brown, a self-help life coaching consultant firm working to transform the lives of people across individual and professional sectors using a three-point faith-based service model non-judgmental listening, reasonable goal setting, and comprehensive strategies, Mario is able to help his clients reach optimum success. To learn more about Life Matters with Mario Brown, check out www.mariocbrown.org, on YouTube at Life Matters with Mario Brown, and on Instagram at Life Matters with underscore Mario. Again, Life Matters with underscore Mario. Welcome back to Swap Sessions. Um, I grew up with my grandparents. So I, um, I'll be honest, I, I've never said some of this stuff. I always try to find new things that I haven't said when I'm talking to people. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, life, life, looking back on it retrospectively, life was incredible. I, I grew up with the best grandparents in the world. I, I feel that if it wasn't for my grandparents, I would not be where I am today. Because they are them, I am me. I always say that. Um, yeah. I did not realize that um, because I did not grow up with my biological parents, um, it kind of like affected me a little bit as a kid because I thought in my own little utopian brain that everybody had a mom and a dad. And um, so I think that actually pushed my creativity. You know what I mean? I had a lot of uh, imaginary friends because <laughs> I was the only <laughs> child. You know, I used to hear all my, all my uh, classmates talk about their sisters and brothers. And, um, but my childhood was actually really great. I feel like I was an arts kid from the time I was born. I started dancing at five. Um, I grew up in the church um, with my grandparents. Um, I started singing in church choir at, I think, nine years old. I played alto saxophone from um, 11, starting at 11 in middle school all the way up until I decided not to because they actually thought I was going to be a musician over a dancer and, and, an, and an actor. So um, wow. my childhood was was pretty was pretty um as one would say pre pretty awesome it was pretty awesome my grandparents made sure that my childhood was awesome there were some things that i would say happened in all honesty um with my biological parents that weren't great however but my <clears throat> grandparents were like superheroes so yeah. my good always outweighed my bad i love that i love that so I was a I was a band geek in in school, uh, like the whole oh, way up too. until until college. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> so <laughs> so I, I fully understand. Um, I have have great memories of learning how to play an instrument, and it took a lot of patience from my parents. I played trombone to start, and then I ended up playing tuba. Okay. In high school, okay. Um, by the time I got to college, I was on like you're thirteen on the, instruments. You're on the bass. You're on the bass clef, man. I'm a treble clef yeah. guy. <laughs> see, I 
I like all right. I wanted to play saxophone, but you know, of course, mm-hmm. growing up, saxophone was too expensive. So it's like find mm-hmm. something cheaper. Um, so brass right. it was, but then when I was able to like teach myself how to play more instruments, I just anything mm-hmm. that I picked up, I wanted to learn how to do it. Um, I, I, so I guess I that creativity was there as well. Yeah, yeah. My, I saxophone was expensive. My grandfather said, if you are a, if you stick with it. And if you're able to play me Still of the Night by Kenny D, which is his favorite song, because um, I rented, we rented a sax from the school at first. And, you know, you get the really not great instruments. And um, yeah. he said, if you are able <laughs> to play it and play it well, um, I'll buy you a saxophone. And um, he did. He did buy me a saxophone. Wow. And a little fun fact, uh, my grandfather passed before um, he could see me first like this. And um, yeah. I pawned my saxophone to me to LA and um, my girlfriend bought it back for me for my last birthday. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. so I, I, I've, never said, I've never told that story. I, I, I forget a lot of stuff, man. There's a lot going on. So yeah. yeah. But I think that's, again, for me in this magazine, it's like, that's what I, I thrive on. I love hearing different stuff because we can always go and find out, you know, your your story based on right. other interviews. I right. like finding out that stuff that nobody's talked about. Yeah, so she, she bought it back for me and surprised me with it. And I'm not afraid to be vulnerable and say I cry like a baby. <laughs> oh, I would have too. In a heartbeat. Like that's that's going down. Like we're gonna cry. Yeah, <laughs> like you could you made this happen, so yeah. <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> yeah, right. So now that you now the saxophone thing is, is kind of cool now now that you have it back are you do you practice again or is it something that just kind of like has sentimental value you just keep it um i right now i have the sentimental value i'll be honest i okay. i played it the first day and it was like i never stopped um which was yeah. kind of cool to me because you know it's a reeded instrument so for me to be able yeah. to jump back on and play with the reed again and it was just like um, um i had a little bit of air in my tone but to be expected yeah to be expected um however i do um once i get a little bit of downtime and i'm not a guy that does downtime very well uh, so yeah so um yeah. It, it's holding sentimental value right now but um i do pick it up from time to time and just kind of you know play here and there just to for nostalgia i love it um so you you left miami moved to la when did you when did you do that? Like how old were you? Actually, I didn't leave Miami, move to LA. I left Miami, move to New York. Yeah, okay. I was um, I was a teenager, and I was a professional ballet dancer before anything. That's all I wanted to do. I was a professional ballet dancer because I went to um, New World School of the Arts in Miami. That's the okay. high school I eventually went to, and um, that's why I say my parents always, my grandparents, well, parents, grandparents, same thing to me. I always thought that my that I would they were, thought that I was going to be a musician. You know, the trek was to go in the band, go to FAMU. <laughs> of course, be in the march or whatever, of course. and then <sighs> do whatever you're going to do. And and I also played bass clarinet in the during concert season, and I was a drum major. Wow. So that was kind of, but I was also this dancer, and. Um, I started that at five and, and I started in acting classes, dabbling. I wasn't very serious. I didn't really know what it was back then. I just knew it was fun right. and to do right. skits, you know, <laughs> and um, and I moved to I, I every summer. My grandparents afforded me the opportunity. I would audition for places like School of American Ballet, Dance Theater Parlum, Alvin Ailey, um, and I got scholarships. And even though with scholarships, there comes a financial burden with the scholarship. And I elected right. to go to School of American Ballet. And I'll be honest, because I wanted to make it as a black man in a white institution. I, I didn't want to say, hey, um, and I think Dance Theater Harlem and Alvin Ailey, I have so, I have friends, like, I think they are freaking amazing. But I, I wanted right. to really hone in on the balancing technique. It was just a technique that I loved. And um, so I got scholarships for, Amer- I mean, School of American Ballet. And I went every summer on my off summers. And by the time I graduated high school, I, um, and I graduated early, I moved to New York. And I had a, I had a, I remember I had a black ballet teacher. I had a black modern teacher in high school. 
and told me that I would never be a ballet dancer because I didn't have the facility. And um, that's the worst thing you can tell me. That's the worst yeah. thing you can tell me is that I can't yeah. do something. And um, I think by by 16, I was a professional. I had gone pro. Wow. So I moved to New York. And um, later on, I went into American Ballet Theater after being in the, being in the pre-professional program at uh, School of American Ballet. But um, yeah, I went into American Ballet Theater. I had a stint at Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle. And then I had a stint at um, Atlanta Ballet. Um, and um, personally, I've never said this either. I, it really bothered me. It's just changed totally different now. But um, it really bothered me. I had, um, when I was in Atlanta Ballet, I had my end of um, year conference. And my director told me at that time, he said, you're amazing, but you will never see a black sugar, a black cavalier to a white sugar plum here. And it like, a, which meant a black prince to a white princess. And it shattered my right. dreams all in one. I, I, I was still a kid. I was, I, don't, I, don't, I, was, in, I was a teenager then still. Yeah. And, and it kind of shattered my dreams from then and um, of where I where I thought I wanted to go because I'll still say ballet is a very racist subculture of an art. And I've never said that aloud. And, and I think um, attention needs to be brought to that. You know, I, I have a lot of talented friends that never made it to where their full potential could have gotten, um, even right. though they were pro because of the color line that are still there to this day. And um, so then I moved to LA. That was when I went ahead and I was like, okay. Um, and I never wanted to move to LA. I was dating a girl at the time and she wanted to be a backup dancer in the commercial industry. I had no knowledge in the commercial industry whatsoever. Um, I wanted to go back to singing. And so I said, yeah, I'll just move out to LA and you know, we'll, we'll go. I, and that's why I say I pawned my saxophone. We'll go. And um, yeah, man, I stayed in a one room studio with four other people, no car, no nothing, $279 in my pocket. And um, I never knew I was going to even be a backup dancer. I never knew. I was just like, I'll get a job at FedEx and save up money for studio time. And um, I had a friend who was who was um, assistant choreographer at the time for Beyonce and Destiny's Child. And um, um, and I had another friend who was dancing for Christina Aguilera and Justin Timberlake at the time. And he said, you should dance again. And I said, nah, man, I'm cool. <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna <laughs> figure it out. And, um, cause I knew nothing about the hip hop commercial industry at all. And um, he called his agent, his agent called me in, signed me based on my commercial appeal and his word. And the fact that I was a ballet dancer before, and um, I signed to that agency, which was Clear Talent Group at the time. And um, three weeks later, I auditioned for Destiny's Child and Beyonce. And um, one of my one of my friends was like, "Yo, watch him." And I just knew I couldn't be the weakest link in the room, so I just emulated. Yeah. I just emulated everybody that I saw that that they were liking at the time to to get the hip hop feel, and. Um, the rest was history. For my dance career, I got the job. <laughs> yeah. It was all happening. There's a lot in that. Man. It was all There's a lot in that. Like, that's a lot. Um, yeah. I, 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 it's, it's crazy, man. I feel comfortable talking. I've never said a lot of stuff. I mean, because <laughs> you don't even think about it because life has moved so much. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I have a couple of friends who, not close friends, but like kind of like distant friends who are in the ballet industry and they, mm -hmm. they kind of share the same thing. Like it's, it's a industry that has a ceiling and it's not yeah. a glass ceiling. It's like a cement ceiling. Like you're not Completely. going past this point. Um, and just trying to break that, it's hard. So yeah. you can, you can get into Ellie and be great. But it's like when you get to a major production, like it's really not going to let you get there. Yeah. And, yeah. and then and I think it's yeah. insane. No one talks about that. And then coming from the hood, you know, I mean, even though I had my Cosby like experience inside of the house, you know, um, and I'll say the Cosby show experience, because I, I grew up very, 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 very privileged, I would say as privileged as middle class 
um, grandparents can make your life. My grandparents are from Alabama, right. so they came and they, they they're their first generation out. You know, um, and but I still grew up in Cal City in Dade County. I grew up in the yeah. hood, so yeah. Um, being a male ballet dancer and living in the hood, you know, that's a, that's a whole kind of like you're hiding it a little bit. You know, luckily I never went to any any school in my particular area, but um, still it was it was um, mentally I look back on it now it was it was a you know it wasn't really a thing. So it's like well, yeah, what those going on? those two yeah. those two words don't go together. Ballet and hood don't really they at don't all. they don't mix. <laughs> no, nah. and and I applaud my grandparents for for just going with me. I, I don't know they were they're so progressive to have been born in the forties. To just yeah. say, okay, this is what he wants to do, you know, without yeah. questioning too much, you know. Yeah. So when you you get to LA through all of that, right. and then how you end up We're gonna take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Life is full of uncertainties, often showing up unannounced and at the most inopportune moments. They affect our personal, professional, social, and emotional experiences. Like a chess game, life is all about the moves you make. Life Matters with Mario Brown LLC was started to assist you in this area. Mario offers private, affordable, virtual, individual coaching sessions. The benchmark of his three-point faith-based service model is non-judgmental listening, reasonable goal setting, comprehensive strategies for desired outcomes. With over 30 years of pastoral and itinerant ministry, Mario realized that people often merely need someone who is not connected to them and on the outside to see their situation from a different perspective so they can reach the solutions that will give them the outcome they desire. If you're ready to make new moves, need guidance, and insights of holistic living, Life Matters with Mario Brown is the service you need. Please feel free to contact a representative for more specifics on how to become a client by visiting www.mariocbrown.org for more information. That's www.mariocbrown.org. Welcome back to Swap Sessions. You end up on stages with megastars. Mm-hmm. Did it feel like the the journey was worth it at that point, or was it still something that was so new that it wasn't really able to take effect yet? B, B, <laughs> the B. Okay. It was it was so new that I don't think. I realized what was going on. Like I, I never like had a reflective moment because it was happening so quickly. Yeah. Like I was, I was blessed, and, but it was, I was in this whole new world of, I'm going to, I've been going to different countries and different cities and, and, and learning. And yes, I am next to these superstars. And um, I remember one of my second show, um, I didn't even have time to secure an apartment because my, at this point, at one point, my my girl and I we broke up, and um, so it, we were staying with her friends in the one room studio. And so here I was, you know, and and I didn't want to tell my parents because you know Southern Southern AME grandparents would make you come home. <laughs> oh yeah, immediately. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and um, immediately. I remember I was doing a show. And I had to fill out my SAG after paperwork and I did not have an address to put down. And um, I, I, I just put down, I think I put down my grandparents' address. And um, and also I was hungry because I didn't have any food to eat. I hadn't gotten, um, we hadn't gotten the per diem checks yet. And um, they usually happen, I mean, that's, that's status quo. You get your per diem sometime in your check or you get your per diem like whenever you know, but everything was moving so fast. And I was just kind of like sitting there, like, I don't know how to fill this out. I've never had to do this before. Um, I'm starving. I have no money to eat. Um, Literally. And I gotta, I gotta, I gotta work. I gotta, I gotta make it happen. 
And um, I think, I don't think I got used to it until about two to three years in. Cause at first it was a whirlwind for me. It, it was just a whirlwind. I was just kind of like trying to understand this new sector of entertainment. And um, it, it was, um, I learned quick though. I, I learned very, very yeah. quick. So I had to. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that's, yeah. It's, it's not a slow pace. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's a sprint. Like you, yeah. you got to figure out the entertainment industry very quickly. Very quickly, very quickly. Um, so you're you're going through this. Um, you're dancing, then you stop. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, from my perspective, reading your story, it seems like at that point, like rock bottom is like right there. Oh yeah. So it's it's you're literally doing everything that you can to survive. Everything. Um. um yeah. Go ahead. Now I was just gonna say, like, what was what was that moment and. Did that make you, did you start having regrets at that moment? Like I shouldn't have left where I was good at or how did that um, feel? In all honesty, I tried to leave three different times. And the need, I always say God never, sometimes we want something sooner than we're prepared for it. And God has to yeah. guide the way and take over. And I tried to stop dancing three times prior to me um, stopping. I remember at one point I was chasing my dreams of music. I was in Philly, actually, and sleeping on studio floors, doing anything to make it happen. And um, I got a call to do uh, these um, promo ads for Miss Carter and then to do the Super Bowl. And um, I was like, oh, okay, I need the money. I need the money. So I yeah. got on the mega bus from Philly to New York. And um, and went ahead and did the commercial, and then uh, Super Bowl came around, and I did Super Bowl. So then you're sucked back into it, and it's because now, and then now you you have to make ends meet, you have to make money and everything like that. So I started again. Um, even a lot of people, I don't think I've ever said this. I had quit dancing before the MTV Music Awards. I quit. I I, I was on a tour, and I've never said this. I was on a tour tour my Braxton and it was probably the worst tour of my life and I never said this aloud and, and it was just depressing I, 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 was, I remember I was on stage every single night and I was just like there has to be more there has to be more the morale of it um, and everything was just it, it wasn't a great environment yeah. And um, and it was weighing heavily on me at the time. And um, I remember, and I, uh, this is something new too, I remember there was one night we got to a Houston stop and um, I was just like, I, I want to quit. I, I'm, I can't do this anymore. I, I just can't do this anymore. I'm unhappy. Um, this particular job is, is killing me on the inside. And I went and I, um, I went to a tattoo shop and this particular tattoo right here, I got it that night in Houston. And um, I always love this tattoo. It's the Serenity Prayer because it got me through. It got me through that tour. I always say it, yeah. it got me through that tour. And um, after that tour, I stopped. I was like, there's no way I'm continuing. I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. I, I just can't. Like there, I know there's something more for my life out there. And um, at, at one point in time, and um, I pretty much, Debbie Allen had told me a couple years before, and I've said it in many interviews. She said, you are, and she was like, I'm going to make you an actor. And I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> I was like, that's not me. And she said, and I say it all the time. She said, uh, child, honey, you don't know who you are yet. And I was like, okay, Miss Allen. <laughs> you know. And she yeah, you can't, you can't argue. You can't argue with yeah, her. Yeah. And she <laughs> it's, it's not going to work out like, too well. Yeah, she actually opened up the door again for me and put me in like lead roles and like stage shows and, and everything like that. And um, I, the world opened up again, you know, and um, I went back to my theater roots for a little bit. Um, but this was prior, I pretty much jumped, but this was prior to having to dance again. So when the opportunity came around to do Super Bowl, I mean, not Super Bowl, um, uh, MTV Music Awards. Um, it was two jobs in that week that I was just like, okay, 
I'll, I'll go. It, and I, I wasn't going to go to the Michael Jackson um, audition for um, A Place With No Name. I reluctantly mm-hmm. went and I got the job. And then when they called me for um, Beyonce, I said, you know what? I'm not dancing anymore. And I said, I, I'm, I don't think I'm going to do it. I'm not dancing anymore. And happenstance, I was leaving my apartment downtown LA and I walked to uh, a Chinese restaurant down there and I saw a choreographer and he was like, you have to do this. And I was like, you're right. I need to get out of my own way. I need to get out of my own ego and I, I should do it. To this day, it was the best job of my career because it brought so many eyes from where I, because I danced probably a, a right before the social media boom. And even though that wasn't a great tour for me with Tamar, the actual benefits of it, the silver lining was that it brought me and my career into this social media age that was just booming. So I'm very grateful for that and very thankful for that. Um, I, um, and then that, that one job, I remember it, and this is when we get into the followers and all that. After I stepped on stage with B, and that was, that was probably, I think the last performance I did with B. Um, I had like 10,000 followers out of nowhere and I was like oh this is how this Instagram thing works because I wasn't really into it <laughs> in the beginning I'll be, <laughs> I'll be honest and um but after that I knew that I, I said um I did one more job for Mariah and um which was at 2015 I want to say at the top of the year January 2015 and um I was about to sign on to the Vegas residency and I didn't and I said, I have to step out on faith and I have to make this happen. And that was the moment where I said, either I'm gonna do, either I'm going to dance and continue to fall into just doing a check and being unhappy, or I'm gonna sacrifice. I chose sacrifice. My brother. <laughs> You sacrificed. It, like sacrificed. It, it, it was. <laughs> there were times. There were times. I, I honestly, I always say, um, retrospect. I look back. I'm happy built character and everything, and and a humility in me that I that I will never ever. I pray to God I never lose. Um, but there, it was dark. It was dark. I'm I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. And and I I think it was supposed to be dark. I t- I, I take it as like when you're training in the gym and you want an end result for your body. Those, there's gonna be some days where dieting and cardio or lifting weights or trying to gain weight or trying to lose weight, whatever your, whatever your goal is, there is a journey to get there. And I felt that even though I had this amazing dance journey, um, this particular season of my journey was paramount. It was paramount now that I look back on it. it, it yeah, it was needed. It was rough, but it was needed. I mean, so it, and again, it's like, it's, it's one of those things like you, you read through other interviews um, and then you see all this stuff in here. Like the fact that you were, you became homeless three times. You started staying at a hotel Philly. six. Yep. Right. Philly was about Philly. Yeah. So you stayed at a hotel, our motel six, because you had a friend that had a hookup on a discount. Yeah. But even with you working, you put the money you were working for into acting classes instead of like doing what other people would have done, which is just like make your situation more stable and comfortable. Yeah. So it's it's with that, like most people say like, you know, I can't believe I'm in this, I'm at this point. But when you think about what you've done to get there, it only makes sense. And so like, personally i probably wouldn't pay for acting class it, it probably just it probably wouldn't happen like that that that's probably that probably wouldn't have been my first choice but it's mm-hmm. like it's it's the sacrifice and the smartest choice to get to where i'll be you're honest to go. man um it saved me it saved me acting class saved me because um i remember calling my best friend and i was just like i just want to drive off the cliff I was driving to work and I was like, um, by this time I had, I never had a real job before. I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say real job. I'm a miss. I had never had a job outside of the arts before. And um, I, um, 
saw Craigslist ad, and I was like, I gotta find something. You know, at this time, I, homeless, and I saw a valet parking job, and I was like, well, you know, let me just go. You know, I, I put on the nicest clothes I had and went to a collective thing, and and uh, I, I started valet parking cars, and I got had a waiter job. I mean, um, it wasn't even a waiter job. I worked out of I worked out of a food truck, <laughs> really, on the weekends. And um, I, um, but I know I was getting so discouraged and um, I told my best friend, I was like, I just don't, I, I was like, I wish I didn't have dreams and I wish I didn't have ambition because I feel like I'm a slave to it. And I was like, I just want to go to sleep and never wake up. And I'm telling you that. And I was like, I'm, I, I feel like I just want to drive off the cliff right now. And I had tears down my eyes, and and um, he was like, "No, you're almost there. I promise you, you're almost there." But um, a lot of times, acting class saved me, man. Like I, I, that was for me every Monday night from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. And nobody knew. I mean, now they'll know. It was my savior. I I could cry without, you know, I could cry and and put it in my scenes. I could um, be angry and put it in my scenes. I could dislike people and put it in my scenes and my work and um, or feel hurt and everything and everything that happened. And because there was times, I was like, damn, how did I get here? How do you get here? Bro? Yeah. Like, how are you at, like, how are you here? You know, and I worked at a hotel where there were a lot of people that I've worked with my whole career just coming out. Oh, you got like parking cars, like, bro? Like, yep. I mean, I can keep <laughs> and um, right. and um, I mean, I, I wasn't, I hadn't built a name yet because I hadn't had a, I didn't even have an agent. I found I had two managers that didn't work out. My manager that did bring my career to this point, I found her in Ross when I was about to get evicted from my apartment. Um, <laughs> and I had like some basketball shorts. She just started talking to me in the in the in the line, and you know, um, but it was that $200 every month and I remember even asking my grandmother because by this time my grandfather had passed and that was another thing I felt I felt guilty that I didn't make it before he died because I felt like I didn't take care of him like he took care of me wow. and um, I'll be honest man I still hold some of that guilt to this day um, and I was just like but there was faith. I was like, I, there's got to be more to life, but just an outlet. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Swap Sessions. It was a therapeutic outlet. And um, that $200, there would be times we would go across the street to have a drink and I couldn't afford $5 a glass of wine. But it was the place that I could go and just escape every Monday. And I looked forward to it. Yeah, That's why I kept yeah. it going. Okay. Um, wow. You... You get through that, which again, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I, I tell people I lived in LA for two years and I also, I moved from New York to LA. Mm-hmm. LA is. I can see the New York thing with the hat. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's LA is the easiest place to fall into depression and nobody knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because no one there really knows you and your network is in a different state in most cases or a different city the people that know you there you're able to portray what you need to portray mm-hmm. in front of them so that they can think that you're good right but it's it's very easy to get to that place so i'm glad that you found an outlet in acting that got you away from that because yeah, it's, it's a hard city it's, yeah, it's a I mean, hard city. It's a very hard city. I, I think I, I think I owe this to people to say I actually tried to commit suicide. 
I really did. Um, I took pills because I was I was too scared to do it any other way. Um, yeah. And I took pills, and I was just like, just don't let me wake up. It's like I'm exhausted, man. I was like, I'm so exhausted. And then at that point, I couldn't. I I never told my family how I was mm-hmm. feeling because um, I do feel sometimes as black men we don't get to feel. Yeah. We don't get a chance to feel. And mental health isn't talked about a lot in our community. And any time, any show of vulnerability, and I hate this, whenever you're vulnerable, you're seen as weak, you know, mm-hmm. especially coming from the South and, you know, uh, don't cry and everything like that. And, and um, I um, I remember that night, I, I was just like, wow, I am, I am exhausted. And I kept saying, I'm exhausted. I am tired, I'm exhausted. And um, of course, God had different plans, you know. Um, but yeah. um, I always, I always, I, I, I think I owe it to people to tell them that they aren't alone if they're feeling like that. Yeah. You know? No, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you make it, you make it to. I guess was Tyler Perry Studios like your first big acting job? Yes, I would say Sisters. I had been booking, um, like, you know, co-stars here and um, roles here that were, like, you know, a little on the smaller platform. And um, I auditioned for Tyler, I think, six times. Six different times. um, And callbacks and everything. And I later learned that um, as I grew in the business, I later learned that it's not about talent all the time. It's about the look combined with the talent. So there were a lot of times that I was wanted, but I learned later we have to find something that would suit the look to make sense to the audience, business-wise. Right. Um, right. So being on Sisters, I didn't even think I was gonna. I had no idea, man. I <laughs> I got the audition at 12 p.m. the day that I got it. It had to be in by I think four or five. Um, I was standing. I finally found an apartment um, from my. Um, valet parking job but it was three of us it's three of us in a one bedroom apartment so i was in the bedroom one person was on this couch another person was on this couch and um i called my friends from acting class i was like yo i got a um this audition can you guys help me read and um so we self-taped it it was during the pandemic um and um i got a call i went to sleep I was just like, oh, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> you, know, it, uh, it it's, you know, something always happens. I ain't going to get it. I think you close on a lot of stuff, you know, close but no cigar. So that was taking a mental toll. And I was like, oh, well, it is what it is. Then I called, then my, my agent called me and said, hey, you're pinned. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I never get excited about pins because you never know. Um, yeah. And then the next day, she said, well, that was quick. You booked it. And I was like, oh, wow, really? And, um, I'm thinking it was re- it was recurring, and I'm thinking it was just two or three episodes. I had no idea. Come back, it was eleven episodes, and I was just kind of like, "Oh wow!" And and um, I was like, "This is different. My life is changing." And I knew every single episode that I was in, front and back. Um, I always give my hats off to my scene partner, Novi Brown, who plays Sabrina. Um, we met up. And she just gave me the ins and outs of working at such a fast pace that we work here at um, at the studios. And um, I was prepared. And I, and I would always say that my dance career also, performing live, and also my theater background, um, helped me to really, I can take direction on the spot without changing. Yeah. It's just, it's like second nature. Um, so it, it I had no idea that Jacoby would turn into what would come out of all of this. You know, I was just a kid trying to make it, man. I was a kid trying to yeah. make it. Yeah. And that's, it, again, it's just, it. it's one of those things that just makes sense. Like everything adds up to that moment. Mm-hmm. And then in that, in that moment, like what went through your head? Because I can only imagine like just being prepared for the rejection. Oh yeah. And then 
everything works out. I didn't think it was going to work out. I'll be honest with you. I'll be honest with you. I I, I thought something was going to go wrong because it yeah. always goes wrong, you know. Yeah. Um. And yeah. I literally, I would say, in the past couple of months, just got out of that mind frame of what if it doesn't what if it stops or what if I'm a fluke or what if what if this doesn't happen or will I go broke again like I just got out of that like literally I I, I guess yeah. it's um poor, poor man syndrome or Stockholm is it Stockholm syndrome I'm, I'm not sure of the correct term but um whatever it is I, I just I just got out of it I don't think it's Stockholm but it's syndrome. crazy like you is if for for us when we see someone on tv we think that like this this road has been probably easy like here they are and we're enjoying them like for you this is this is all within like the last year year and a half yeah it's all so year. everything up until that point has been like chaotic and then mm-hmm. now it's like oh we see this person they're a star but it's like that's still brand new it's all brand new so um, my girl says I'm handling it very well. Um, <laughs> you're you're she, handling, yeah, she you're handling she, it well. She, yeah, she says you handle it well. Like I, I'm pretty quiet a lot. Um, I would say I have a I have a I have a big personality when I'm comfortable in my in my friend circle. But um, right, it, it it has been an adjustment. I, I was saying yesterday I was talking on the phone to my to my grandma, and I said um, I'm trying to get a hold of my life. Cause I don't know what my life is right now. I, yeah. I'm enjoying the hell out of my life, and I'm continuing to work hard. But I'm I don't know what this is, if that makes sense. In the proverbial sense, Definitely. I'm kind of like I, I feel like I'm learning something every single day, and um, yeah. not only just as an actor or as a as a businessman, or but as a person, I, I feel yeah. like okay, what do you know, every I feel like every experience is different. Um, season, even going into season two now, and I hope that um, the announcement comes out before this interview. Um, <laughs> even going into season two of all the Queen's Men, you, you have those feelings of I hope people like it. Um, can I, I? I compete with myself. And, um, yeah. Will I be as good as last? Can I need to be better than last time. Or how? I know the story this season. So, of course, I'm like, okay, I got to make sure that this and that. So, so I get into those modes of, of, of um, this. You feel like you're on this cloud. And, and yeah. as much as you are, you trying to ground yourself and you have to put into your head, like, oh, that's no longer my reality. And that has been the hardest thing for me, I think, to accept the acceptance of a new reality because I'm coming from seven to five, five to seven years of nothing, poverty, you know? So now I'm, I'm, I have, I'm scared because you don't want to go back there. Right. But you have to also let that go and, and accept where you are. And I had a lot of guilt because there are people around me that I think are super talented you know, that weren't, that haven't had some of the same opportunities. And I felt guilty. I felt guilty. Like I, I felt like I didn't want to talk about accomplishments or I would downplay everything. And, and um, I still do to a certain degree. I, I, I won't, I won't talk about myself too much. It's, it's something I struggle with that. Um, I, I hate talking about what I do or what I've mm-hmm. done because I don't want to make anyone else uncomfortable. Exactly. But it's exactly. I've I've also had to place myself around people who are also accomplishing things so that it doesn't feel uncomfortable when I say something that I'm happy about. Yeah. Because it's like you just you have to let that moment be that moment. Yeah. And that's hard that. when you're yeah, when you're used to like not having a moment to talk about, mm-hmm. it's hard to do that and not feel like you're bragging about exactly. where you're at. Exactly. Like that's exactly. challenging. Yeah, very. So, <laughs> very. No, I, I fully very. get it. Like yeah. now it's just um I I love talking to my circle about 
what we're doing and inspiring each other and saying, you know, so what's next? Like, how does this right. work? How does that work? Right. Like, right. it's it's a great feeling now, but mm-hmm. in the past, nah. <laughs> yeah, it's not. No. It's not. And I and I think um, <laughs> I'm, I'm gaining a, a, a good circle, and um, I'm I'm learning how to just live in this moment and expect even more and rather than yeah. holding on to previous uh, moments and thinking of, and expecting the worst more so than expecting no i should have that no i'm gonna get this no i'm gonna do that right. and and not just saying it but believing it the belief is the is the greatest feat ever because yeah. only you only you know yeah. the belief on the inside you know yeah um, you no, can say it all day, but if you don't believe it, that's that's you. It don't matter. That's, that's you have to believe it. So yeah. So it's we're watching we're watching sisters. Sister mm-hmm. season goes off, and then all the queens men comes on, and anyone that went from one series to the next is like, hell, that escalated quickly, and it's it's like, it's all the queens men is insane and I we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back All right, so I know you guys enjoy listening to Suave Sessions while I'm talking to some of my favorite celebrities and interviewing them and finding out more about their lives. But I'm also on a podcast with five of my friends from childhood, and we've been friends for over 30 years. And now we're coming back together as adults and having conversations as grown men from the Black perspective. It gets a little funny. There's some of the topics that we talk about, things from relationships, uh, for these guys being fathers, husbands, uh, we talk about police brutality, we talk about um, different things with the music industry, with the fashion industry. We talk about things from music to fashion to culture to what the standards are of being a man, what it's like to have a guy code. Check us out. Look us up on any podcast platform that you're already listening to right now. It's GQ the podcast. That's G C U E the podcast. Check us out. Have some fun. Come laugh with us. Welcome back to Swap Sessions. Was yeah. I was sucked in literally instantly. I'm so happy to hear that. Oh my god, it was it was crazy. And to the point mm-hmm. where like I was watching and I like called my mom. I was like, I don't want to tell you to watch this show. <laughs> However, <laughs> like I don't want I don't want to influence you watching this, but you have to watch this. Like just the storyline and like the acting and like understanding the industry and like everything that comes together with it it's amazing mm-hmm. and knowing that like what you all went through to again understand that industry mm-hmm. was it for you again your grandmother was it challenging to say hey this is the new show I'm doing no you know what she loves Check it, it out she loves it. See, my grandmother, my grandmother's lit. Like, man, she, like, she loves Cardi B. You know what I mean? She, she loves Cardi B. She watches the Kardashians. Like, she loves the news. Like, she would tell me stuff that I haven't even, that I don't even know. Um, okay. She, she actually loved the show. You know what she on? She loved the show. I like. She loved it. Okay. Show. She was so invested. Um, she loved Madam. She she told she loved my role and she was like so invested. She was like she shot my son, <laughs> like. But um, <laughs> but um, she I think for her it was just wow I've seen him struggle so much, and he did. Yeah. You know my fa- all my family and I, I they're gonna get mad at me, but 
it is what it is. They didn't believe it. Nobody believed it but my grandmother yeah. and my grandfather. And um, they, um, it, I, I don't, I'm not a parent yet, but I'm sure to see your kid silently suffer. Cause I was very quiet. Like she would, she would, my grandmother would only know certain things until possibly I had exhausted every possibility, even giving blood to get money. You know, then I'll be like, Mom, I need some help. And she already, but also too, I didn't want to burden her because I mean, her and my grandfather met for six years. So she lost the love of her life. So it's kind of like, I got to be a man. And, um, mm-hmm. but she saw, she saw the struggle. So she's just like, wow, he actually, he really did it. But back to the show, I think the show for me, um, a lot of people think that Tyler just gave me a show that it didn't happen like that. I actually auditioned for all the Queens men prior to auditioning for Sisters. Wow. Yeah. I, and, and because of the pandemic, um, production got pushed back. But I got a chance to talk with Christian and everything and, and understand where it came from. And Christian wrote Ladies Night um, about 10 years ago, I think, uh, or, or more. I don't mm-hmm. want to misquote it. But um, Christian wrote Amp for him when he first, mm-hmm. when he wrote it. And he said, when I saw you, I was like, that's Amp. And um, at the time I was on Sisters and um, I, um, I I guess I was heard that Tyler liked what I was doing. And and um, there was possible, uh, it, it was, I'll put it this way. It had to be figured out how to have me on all the Queens men because I was, I had now become a prominent part on Sisters, which I love, right. you know? And um, so, when I got the call from my agent, it was like, you know, um, he's just been cast as lead man and all the queens men. And I was like, what? I auditioned for that back in, back in like February of 2020. And you know, you audition, wow. so, and you don't get it. So you don't, you just don't. You let it go. Anything. You don't think yeah. about it. And, and I yeah. know what I always do at my auditions. I do the scene. I will go in a car. I will go outside if the scene's here or there. And I, I think it kind of brings in my directorial eye a little bit because it puts me in the scene and people tell you not to do it or Catherine doesn't like it. I'm like, hey, what's meant to be this meant to be? I guess if I don't get it, I don't get it. But um, I auditioned for Amp. And um, I, um, when I got the call, I was like, whoa, wait, you mean series regular? And they leave now? And wait what you know like <laughs> trying to I, I remember yeah. my part in my townhome at the time i got on my knees and i just cried and i said thank you god and um we had eight we originally had eight half hour episodes i don't know if anyone knows that um tyler liked it so much that we got a call to come back and reshoot and they extended it to 10 hour long episodes and um which means you also get a bump and I remember calling my grandmother and I said, I got you. I finally got you. And what um, that like? Man, it's the best feeling in the world, bro. Like, um, I was like, I finally got you, man. I finally got you, finally. And, um, yeah. you know, um, it feels good. I, I'm not gonna lie, it, it definitely does. It feels good to be able, and she, She's the best woman in the world. She doesn't ask me for anything, you know what I mean? Um, but I just want to give it a whirl. And, um, but the show, I remember going to the fellas and and really taking it serious because it's an art form. And it's, it's, it's very, um, it's a taboo art form, but it's a huge, huge community. And um, I watched, I really watched. I didn't come, I, I always say, if you come into anywhere not willing to learn, you're ready to fail. And yeah. so I watched and I asked questions and I would learn. And even though I was a, a, a backup dancer, um, the male of the world of male and exotic, male exotic entertainment is very really different, you know, in, as far as engaging with the crowd and, and um, really making this experience. It's an experience in fantasy you're providing for a group of people. So that is a, a different way of playing you're you're more intimate with your audience more mm-hmm. so than push back you know as on a stage so but now you got to put that on camera 
you know right. and um right so that that was that was um a learning experience that i loved and then just embodying amp i, I think that i've related to amp so much in the fact of a kid just wanting to do better just wanting to get yeah. out and wanting to to succeed and trying to find it and trying to make his way and he he's so he's so innocent he's so innocent yeah. because he's a good kid and um i remember when i started to get into his being and let his being possess me that um my voice started changing my voice literally i i speak with a little higher tone i think than amp does and like mm-hmm. i remember the first words when i was like auntie and it was just here and it was down and it was just like yeah um i'm sorry no and the vulnerability that he has in his voice after being locked up for nine years and i was like why is my voice changing i was like and i felt like i was like just let it happen and every character i've ever done for some reason their voice starts to change my voice changes and i feel that with any and i thought that was a bad thing i was told at one point in acting class that was a bad thing but i realized that's my superpower because everybody on earth has a different voice yeah no one has the same intonation of their voice so to really get into somebody you have to understand them inside and out and um i i um i really i gave i i, I give everybody my all but um i under i he just he possesses me in 2 seconds like i'm here this i'm here right now ready to shoot and i think maybe that's why i'm so heavy today i don't know because his circumstances this season is just so completely heavy after being shot yeah i mean that that last that last scene was a lot um yeah your roommate i was like i didn't trust this dude from the jump <laughs> so, and we're friends like, in real never life, trusted, too <laughs> i was like never trusted this dude i knew it was something wrong with him um so i mean that's crazy and then like knowing that you know you guys are boy, back on scene yeah yeah i mean fortunately you know i mean being a being a journalist i i kind of get some insight on what's happening um mm-hmm. pretty much like talk to a couple people who are on the show with you um mm-hmm. so some of them can't hold water so they kind of told me a little while ago what was going on I was like oh season 2 hop and let's do it <laughs> so um i mean there's that but it's like you you have the success of sisters you now have the success of all queens men and now you're going into lace mm-hmm. on all black it's like the moment that you hit the ground like you're moving and now it's like everything is just coming like back to back to back to back when you when you sit back and you now see like this is where life is taking me mm-hmm. what is that what does that feel like are you at that point where it's like I can't stop now. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's it's so crazy you mentioned that like I I had the chance to briefly talk with Will Packer um a couple months ago in Miami and uh he was he's so great man and um he was just like you know I see what you're doing congratulations and he said um and KJ was standing right there with me and he said I want to tell you I can see it in your eyes. Enjoy the moments. Don't worry about the next. I could see it. Yeah. You worried about the net. And um and she was like he needs to hear that. But um yeah, I I I it's it's a gift and a curse. I am still a slave to my ambition. And I'm like yeah. I just, I just can't stop. I just can't stop. Like um this whole year I've been blessed to work nonstop, you know, and on different things. Um I, I got to do Black Monday with Don Cheater and Regina Hall. Like that was just like you know incredible to go back and to be able to get on screen and play with such hugely wild successful to me living legends i was just like you know i was like okay i'm nervous and they laughed and i was like all right now let's go to work <laughs> but, um, <laughs> let's but, just put um, this out there <laughs> yeah yeah um no i can't stop i can't stop man i i 
I want beyond the world. I want the galaxy. And um and I am a relentless workhorse. And and I can't stop. I will not stop until I get it. I think I think um it's a gift and a curse. I really do. I don't know what I'll be able to tell you maybe like in a year or two. Um but I've but I've been learning to nurture self because I want so much and because I'm in such strong competition with myself. Um yeah. um I've been learning to, you know, have my I need my my needed isolation moments um, or just time to just, you know, talk to God. Sometimes I personally don't always talk out loud because sometimes stuff is just so much in your heart. I feel like he knows I just sit and think and let let him talk to me silently and um, or just say a one word and let it flow. But um, yeah, man, I I got a chance to just finish a movie my first movie as a lead so um i don't want to stop i'm not going to stop man like I, it's it's crazy it's so crazy the the fire in me is kind of like if it was a fire before it is probably um the sun is <laughs> going to space so <laughs> be on fire at this point yeah 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 Spread some love, stay suave, peace.